You would open your Bibles up there to 1 John and chapter 4, where Ian kindly read to us from. I think most people, most of us here, probably struggle with uncertainty, don't we? When things are uncertain, uh, it maybe makes us fearful uh, and anxious. Probably if you think back to the last time you were anxious or fearful, it it was probably because there was something you were uncertain about, something that wasn't uh, quite clear. I think the relationship between uh, uncertainty and uh, fear is one of the reasons why people visit their doctor. Uh, You get some kind of new pain that you've not felt before. You're uncertain uh, as to what the cause might be. It seems to be getting worse and not better, and you start to get anxious. You start to get fearful. You maybe go on Google and you type your symptoms in, and, and suddenly it pulls up a whole list of answers as to what it might be, and that makes you even more fearful. Uh, and eventually, uh, you book an appointment at the doctor's. And the hope is that you will see the doctor. They'll maybe ask you some questions. They'll prod and poke you, maybe send off uh, some investigations. Uh, and then eventually, they will be able to tell you what's going on. They'll be able to get rid of your unse- uncertainty and fear and anxiety uh, and be able to tell you what's going on uh, and give you some confidence because then at least you'll know what you're dealing with. We've seen, haven't we, that, that John is writing this letter to people who are uncertain. And he's writing to give them assurance. These people that John's writing to, they are Christians. They are children of God. Uh, but they seem to be un- uncertain about their relationship with God. Last week we saw, didn't we, when Stephen preached to us from the first half of chapter 4, Uh, that there were some false teachers in this church exerting some sort of uh, influence, uh, and uh, and that was part of the reason for the uncertainty. They were claiming to be the ones who were really in the know, uh, the the truly spiritual ones. Uh, And as I've said, I think lots of times uh, already in this series, that this letter is written so that these people who are children of God may know that they are children of God. Of God, so they'll have assurance. That's the big thrust of the letter. It's a letter all about assurance. And in this passage uh, that we've read today, John tells uh, these Christians something about God in order to bring them assurance, in order to get rid of their fear and, and anxiety and to give them confidence. He tells them something about God, he tells them twice. A statement about God, just just three words. I wonder if you, you spotted it. It's there in verse 8, and it's there in verse 16. God is love. God is love. That's not just a, a statement about what God does. It's a statement about his very nature, about, about who he is. Who, who he is at his core. God is love. It's a startling claim, isn't it? Is it is it true? There are many people in the world who, who don't think that's true. 
Stephen Fry, who, who's an actor and, and writer, a couple of years ago, he was interviewed uh, by someone, and he was asked if he could ask, ask God one question, what would it be? If he was stood before God at the pearly gates, that was how the, the interviewer phrased it, and he had a question for God, what would he ask? This was Stephen Fry's response. How dare you? How dare you create a world where there's so much misery? It's evil. So he, he looked out on the world and the pain and the suffering, and he drew in the conclusion that God is spiteful and mean-minded. But John's claim here that God is love. When it comes to claims about God, we have a, a difficulty. We thought about this difficulty uh, before Christmas. And the difficulty is mentioned twice in our passage, verse 12 and verse 20. No one has ever seen God. And verse 20, God whom they have not seen. No one's seen God, and yet John confidently asserts here that God is love. How can we know that uh, God's very nature is love? How can, how can we be certain? There's three points on the screen. We're just going to uh, work through those, and then at the end, we've got three applications. Firstly, we can know that God is love because he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. God is love, he's revealed in Christ. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. Or in this is the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The God who is love, the God who we cannot see, has shown himself to us in, in Jesus Christ by sending his own son into the world so that we might live. At Christmas, we thought about Jesus being the son of God. Uh, he's, he's in this intimate relationship with the Father, relationship of perfect intimacy. He's in the light, the very likeness of God. He, he, he shows God to us. When we see Jesus moved with compassion, which we see lots in the Gospels, we see God's compassion. Full of compassion, Jesus works to relieve suffering, to feed the hungry, even to raise the dead. God is love. Some of the verses uh, that we read today often, often get, men get a mention at a wedding this is a, a passage that's often spoken at weddings about God uh, being love. And there was a, a famous wedding three years ago, maybe four years ago now, uh, Harry and Meghan's wedding. And, and some of these verses were read out. Verse 7 was read out. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And the preacher at Harry and Meghan's wedding was a man called uh, Bishop Curry, and he gave a sermon all about the power of love. He was a kind of dynamic c communicator, and, and this, this sermon was widely well-received. If you watch this sermon online or, or read the text online, which you can do, and I, I did this week, you'll see that this sermon is, is more about love and less about God. Jesus' life is held up as a, a great example. And the thrust of the sermon was that if you simply follow Jesus' example, if you love like he loved, we, we will change the world because there's power in love. That was the message. 
like I said, the, the, the sermon had many plaudits. And I think generally it was well received because of what was left out of the message. The theme of verse 10 was almost entirely absent, which was strange because that's where John takes us if we want to know love. Verse 10 is his definition of love. We come to know that God is love, not by looking at Jesus' life and trying to copy him, but by understanding his death. And so John writes, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we want to understand and know that God is love, we must look at the cross and if we're going to understand uh, the cross of Jesus and all that his death means, we must understand that God is love is only half the definition in John's letter. John has given us a, another God is statement in, the, in this letter. I don't know if you can remember, before Christmas, we were back in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, verse 5, John writes this. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. When we thought about God being light, uh, we thought about two things. That the, the first is uh, that God is absolutely pure. Darkness is to do with evil. There's no darkness in God. He's perfect and pure and holy. He's opposed to all that is evil. Evil and sin makes him angry, rightly angry. And also contain this idea that God is light, was the idea that God reveals. That's what light does. You turn the light on and you can, you can see things. And God reveals there's no deception or, or hiding in God. God is light means he sees everything. We can hide nothing from him. He, he knows the truth about us. There's a, an old Anglican prayer that goes like this. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are opened, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid. God is, God is light. And before the God who is light, we're exposed, aren't we? We're exposed. We're, we're, we're hiding. We're, we're running for cover. We fear his punishment. We, we fear his judgment. Because God is light. There's no darkness in him. But there is darkness in us. And people have big problems with the God who is light. We'll have the God of love, they say, but the God who is light, who judges, who's, who's angry with sin, we, we, we don't want that God. And you can see some of those themes are, are in our, our passage, aren't they? So verse 17, John mentions the day of judgment. Verse 18, he talks about uh, fear of punishment. But if we push aside the God who is light, we also push aside the God who is love. Because verse 10 tells us uh, that God's love only makes sense if, if, if God is light. We can only understand that God is love if we also understand that God is angry at sin and judges it. So verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Victoria's reminded us that propitiation 
word. It, it's, it's a word about God's, to do with God's anger. It means uh, turning away of, of God's anger. Let me try and illustrate. Imagine if you were uh, in a conversation with your friend and you hit upon a topic that you're both quite passionate about, but you also both hold opposite opinions about. And, and as you're chatting, the, the conversation gets heated, uh, voices get, get raised, uh, and you start to say some things uh, that you know will hurt your friend and, and upset them, a kind of heat of the moment uh, thing. You raise your voice, you shout, you say unkind things. And you storm off, go home. As you're, as you're led in bed that, that night, the kind of you're replaying the conversation over in, in your head, uh, and you begin to realize what you said was, was wrong. You were being unreasonable. So what do you do? You, you, go, you, go, you get up in the morning, you, you go to the shop, you buy some chocolates or some flowers, and you go around to see your friend, and, and you open the door, and you pass the, the chocolates over. And you're hoping that the chocolates are somehow going to propitiate your friend, to, to turn away their anger, uh, to, to make them kind of favorable to you again. That's, that's propitiation. And John writes that God's love is revealed to us in that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The difference between the illustration of the friend with the chocolates and the cross is, is at the cross it's the offended one who makes propitiation, not the one who's caused offense. We don't do something uh, to turn back God's anger. God does something to turn back his own anger. At the cross, God makes right what we had put wrong. And in the death of Jesus, the perfect, beloved Son of God, the righteous anger of God is appeased. And John says, that's how we know that God is love. It's revealed in Jesus Christ. This is not an angry God and a loving Jesus. This is the God who is light and love revealing himself to us through the person of his son. It's captured, isn't it, in, in that line in, in Christ alone. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied and every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. I read this week that there was a, a denomination uh, in America, a church denomination that wanted to uh, have that song in their songbook, but they didn't like that line and they wanted to change it. Their suggestion was, till on the cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Maybe they were thinking, if we talk less about God's anger, it will make him appear more loving. But can you see the, the tragedy of talking less about God's anger as we look at verse 10? The tragedy is, it's only as we face the depths of God's anger and his holiness and his offense at our sin that we really begin to understand his love that's revealed for us at the cross. Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, for your sin, for my sin. God is love. He's revealed it in Jesus Christ. 
That's the first point. The second point is that God is love, and we come to rely upon that love by the Spirit. God is love, and we come to rely upon his love by the Spirit. This is verses 13 to 16. If the cross shows us God's revelation uh, of his love in history, it's through the work of the Spirit that we as his children come to, to trust and rely upon his love. So look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us his spirit. And then verses 14 to 16, they're like links in a chain that describe the work of the spirit in the life of God's children, making us confident of God's love. So the first link in the chain is the spirit-empowered witness of the apostles. Verse 14 John writes, this is about him and the apostles. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Remember at the start, John said, we, we saw him. We, we touched him. Those who had seen Jesus with their own eyes, they'd heard him with their own ears. And then this testimony exploded in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. The second link in the chain is verse 15. That is, the testimony of the apostles becomes our own personal confession as the Spirit works in us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This is what we saw last week, isn't it? The evidence that someone is, has the, the Holy Spirit in them is that they confess that Jesus Christ is the, the Son of God. The apostles' confession becomes our confession it's by the Spirit that we echo Paul's words that the Son of God loved me. He gave himself for me. That's the confession of someone who has the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit makes all this real to us in our hearts. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. The Spirit convinces us that the cross is not just a fact of history. But he also helps us to feel the warm embrace of, of the one who made us. Love displayed at the cross. Imagine you're driving along on a, on a cold day. It's cold outside, you're driving along. It's also cold in the car. It's not cold in the car because you've only just got started and the car's not got time to warm up. No, the car is warm. You've been, you've been driving for half an hour. The temperature gauge is at 90 degrees or whatever your car, car runs at. Why is it still cold in the car? It's cold in the car because you've not got the, the vents open. There's plenty of heat. It's, it's there under the bonnet circulating around the engine, but it's still cold in the car because the vents are shut. What do you do? You reach over, you turn the dial, and the vents come open, and the heat comes flooding in, and you feel its warmth. That's like the, the work of the Spirit in, in the life of God's children. God is love. He's, he's revealed himself in Jesus at the cross. That The burning heat of love has been revealed in this world. The Spirit is the one who, who opens the vents and helps us know and feel that God loves us and so we come to put our confidence in the God who is love and then God is love is also reflected in the church or ought to be reflected in the church verses 11 to 12 
Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's there at the end of the passage again. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God is love, that's revealed in Christ. We come to rely on it by the Spirit. And then that love is to be reflected in our, in our church. And the love of the church is, is just that, it's just a reflection the love, love doesn't originate with us. Love, love comes from God. It comes to us from God, and then our love is a reflection uh, back. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Verse 19, We love because he first loved us. Our love is a reflection of his, his great love. Someone uh, put it like this. Gospel doctrine, God is love, is, is, to, is to create gospel culture. That's people who, who love each other. And this, this gospel culture where we love one another, that is powerful evidence. Powerful evidence in the present, today, tangible evidence that God is love. Our love for one another beautifies the gospel. Verse 12 uh, suggests that it makes God's love visible. The, 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 the love of the invisible God is made visible in his church. No one has ever seen God, John writes, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is why genuine Cross-shaped love is, is so important in the church. In order to share the gospel, we must use words because the gospel is a message. It's, a, it's news about Jesus. But the love of God is kind of added evidence. The, lo the love of God's children is added evidence. It gives weight to those words. It shows the truth of the message. And so John urges us, again to love one another that's been a common theme hasn't it for us over the last six months love one another don't wait for others to love you love them first when someone does you wrong or, or someone offends you don't don't sit and wait for them to come to you and, and make amends go to them run to them with love and forgiveness that's how god's loved us he, he took the initiative God is love, and that's reflected in the church. Let's look now at some applications. We've got three applications uh, from the, the, the things we've been looking at today. The first is uh, assurance. Assurance. Like I said at the beginning, this letter is to bring assurance to God's children. That's why John is writing. And in verse 7, John says, Love one another because love comes from God, uh, and everyone who is born of God loves. In fact, I should probably read that because I think I've misquoted it. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's how, how we know we're alive. That's how we know we're, we're born again, because we, we love one another. The logic seems to run a bit like this. God loves us, so we love us, and that's how we know we're really his children. And we mustn't get the order wrong. 
we don't become God's children by loving. It's not like if we try really hard to, to love, eventually we become God's children. No, we love because he first loved us. It's there again in verse 16. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. And I think for those of us this morning who are Christians, we're meant to read these verses and to see ourselves in them. We've seen that God's love has been revealed in the death of Jesus. Under the work of God's Spirit, we, we've come to know and rely upon that love. And something of that love has started to be reflected in our lives and our relationships with one another. I know that's true for, for many of us this morning. And John says, that's how you know. <laughs> that's how you know you're his children. Be assured. And as we have this assurance, that means we can have confidence and not fear. And that's our second application, confidence and not fear. There is a right kind of fear of God, isn't there? A fear, a reverence and an awe that we have for him. But there's also a wrong kind of fear. And John says that fear is to do with punishment. But knowing God's love drives away the fear and anxiety of those who are uncertain. When we have this assurance, we have no need to fear God in that wrong way. In chapter 3, we saw that this assurance means that we can be confident in prayer. We can, we can pray confidently. Here, the confidence that we can have is directed towards the, the day of judgment. The love of God gives us confidence about the day of judgment. There's a, a story told about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I'm not sure if it's a true story or, or not. I couldn't quite find out uh, online this week. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he's the, he's the man who wrote the Sherlock Holmes uh, detective stories. And the story goes like this, that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote uh, a letter to 12 people that he knew, 12 well-respected people. And it was a short message in this letter it just said, all he's discovered, fly at once. That was it. Sure, all he's discovered, fly at once. And these, uh, the story goes that within 24 hours, all 12 of these people have, had left the country. <laughs> I wonder if you ever thought, uh, what, what if when I stand before God, all he's discovered... What if when I stand before God on the day of judgment, I just want to, to run and hide and, and get away? Lots of people in this world say lots of things about God. What if I'm wrong? Well, the assurance of God's love revealed in the cross and reflected in the church, John says, gives us confidence for the day of, of judgment. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. See, the Christian knows that the day of discovery is past. <laughs> the truth about us is writ large at the cross. The punishment is past. Jesus bore our punishment. God is no longer angry with us. God is love, and we've begun to feel the warmth of that love grow within us. And, and so we can be confident about that day of judgment. We don't need to fear. 
No need to have anxiety about that day. The hymn writer writes this, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. He soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Confidence and not fear. And finally and quickly, discernment. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, he does not love his bro- for if he does not love his brother whom he, has, not, he has, has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. If someone says, I, I love God, but fails to love brothers and sisters in the church family, John just says he's telling lies. So it's a false claim. It's hot air. The people who, who establish themselves in the church gathering but do not know God's love can do great harm. That was the case, what was going on in the first century, and it's happened in many churches since uh, John has written this letter. People who do not know God's love establish themselves in churches and do uh, great harm. And John wants us and his first readers to be discerning. He says it's impossible to love God and not to love your brothers and sisters. Wolves come in sheep's clothing, don't they? But Jesus said that by their fruit, we shall know them. God is love, and his children, well, they also love one another. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that as your children, you will bring to us the great assurance Uh, that is ours, knowing that you are love. We pray, Father, for any who doubt that, help them to see again the truth uh, displayed in the cross of Jesus. Dear Father, we pray for all of us who are your children, help us to know and experience your love more and more. And we ask, loving Father, that you would uh, help our church family here at Cape and Ray to be a, a a family that reflects your great love. Lord, fill our hearts with love for one another, we pray. Still our fears and give us great confidence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Got our final song this morning, which is going to speak to us all about God's uh, great love. Love divine.